Chapter Twenty Eight of The Man with the Black Cord by Augusta Groner, translated by Grace Isabel Colbron. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Epilogue. On Christmas Day, a thick covering of snow lay over the wide stretches of country around Inzersdorf and gave the charm of beauty even to the desolate Black Moor. The Erlock Garden was a picture with its snowy spaces of lawn and the trees and bushes sparkling in a covering of many faceted crystals. In the midst of the white radiance the handsome old house stood dark in its ivy covering, but there was no longer the gloom of emptiness in its darkness, and the quiet old structure seemed to smile with the gaiety within. For about two weeks now the greenhouse had been again a home. Miss Eva Geringer and her sister lived there, and Mrs. Tunner, with a young serving-maid as assistant, took care of them. That the two sisters had found such a beautiful home was due to Mueller but like many another of his good deeds, he did not consider it anything of importance. It seemed quite natural to him that he should speak of the two forsaken women to Paul Erlock, and the lieutenant thought it equally natural that the woman who might have been his uncle's wife should in her old days at least be an inmate of the home which might have been hers altogether. It was no charity in his eyes, particularly as Eva's sister had undertaken the preparation of Nellie von Feldern's trousseau. The two ladies were to live in the greenhouse for the rest of their lives, thus keeping it open for the young officer and his wife whenever they could make themselves free for a visit to the country. This Christmas day every room in the old house was thrown open and a merry company roamed in and out through all its nooks and corners. Colonel von Feldern, Nellie's father, with his wife and younger daughter, had come out for the day with the young couple. Commissioner Lair, Mueller, and Carl were also invited. The warm-hearted young officer could not forget those to whom his gratitude was due, on this his first day of hospitality in his heritage. While all was in busy bustling preparation for a hearty Christmas dinner, Mueller sat in a corner room, chatting quietly with Miss Eva. His warm heart rejoiced at the look of calm happiness on the pale face of the gentle little invalid. "'He's been here several times, then?' he asked. Three times already,' she answered eagerly. He brought your letter the first time, the letter in which you asked him to come and see us occasionally, and we found him a pleasant visitor. Then you haven't taken a dislike to him? asked Mueller. I don't want to make it too much of a sacrifice for you, but your kindness will do the poor man so much good. The invalid smiled sadly as she replied, For me? How can a poor worthless cripple like myself feel any superiority over a man who has all his faculties, and a man who does his duty in life so thoroughly well as Mr. Bower does? No, indeed, we will always be glad to see him, and to do what we can towards banishing his distrust of the world. Besides, he's braver than you think. He did not write his apology to Lieutenant Ehrlich, but he came in person. But now, Mr. Mueller, do tell me about Simarenko and his unfortunate betrothed. Mueller sighed deeply. Miss Suzanne is out of danger now, but I feel she will not shake off the deep sorrow in her heart as quickly as she did the brain fever. Simarenko is safely guarded in the asylum. He has violent moments every now and then, when it takes great force to subdue him. But in his lucid intervals he is very quiet. I went to the asylum to ask about him yesterday, and they tell me that he has spoken of me frequently, spoken of me kindly. Oh, and another thing they told me. When he was brought to the asylum he had to undergo a physical examination, and it was discovered that he had three broken ribs. He acknowledged calmly that they were broken by Gebhardt's blow the night of his attack on the ladder. You remember the story. Yes, yes, you told me. What a terrible man he is. 
"'And yet I am sorry for him.' "'Yes, as am I,' said the detective sadly, "'to think that just this soul should be darkened by madness.' Several years had passed, and the summer was on the land again. A man sat at the window of a great house outside Vienna. There were strong bars at the window, and the door was securely locked. The man was tall but gaunt, his clothes hung loosely from his broad shoulders. His beautiful, supple hands had lost their look of strength, and were almost transparent and waxen. His hair was quite white. After the ravings of the first few terrible weeks, Nikolai Simarenko had been one of the most quiet patients of the asylum. Although kept in the strongest cell under safe watch, he had never attempted an escape. The absolute stillness that seemed to have come over the man made him the most unusual case which the physicians of the institution had ever known. He seemed quite lucid, was again the finely educated, intelligent man of the world, the sympathetic scholar. In spite of the longing for his little girl, which was revealed in an occasional moment, he had expressly asked that Sonia should be kept safely guarded and never allowed to see him. It seemed to make him happy to know that Sonia was in Suzanne's care, being brought up as her own child. The news which came, two or three years after his incarceration, that Suzanne had married did not distress him. It seemed a relief to him to know that she could overcome the tragedy he had brought into her life. He spoke very little. Most of his time was spent in reading, studying. He was quite contented, but his great physical strength, his magnificent health, were slowly fading. He grew daily thinner and weaker. He has a visitor every now and then, one visitor only. The first time that Mueller asked to see Simarenko, he did it hesitatingly, fearing that if the patient would receive him at all, his presence might have a bad effect. But the Russian came to the door to meet him, quite calm, although his eyes were moist. A couple of strong attendants were waiting outside watching through a secret peephole, in case the detective should be in danger. But after this first visit he asked that the watching be discontinued, as he knew it was quite unnecessary. Sitting at the window this summer day, Simarenko was awaiting his one friend, awaiting him impatiently, for he looked out of the window now and then to see if the carriage was not yet in sight. Then he turned to the table in front of him. On it stood three photographs. One of them was a picture of his wife, whose fate he took into his own hands, then a portrait of her little daughter, and beside them Suzanne's picture. He gathered them up and locked them away in the drawer, for he did not wish even his one faithful friend to look into this sanctuary of his heart. He did not wish even this one friend to know the hours that he spent in hopeless, torturing longing. Then he went back to the window and stood watching. Finally he heard the wheels of a carriage on the road and the sound of the doorbell. The pale man's eyes brightened, and a faint smile curved his well-cut lips. The End End of Chapter 18 End of The Man with the Black Cord by Augusta Groner Translated by Grace Isabel Colbron